Word of God. That does something to us spiritually and, and helps us grow spiritually in ways that, that just uh, just participating on Sunday morning doesn't. And so it's another it's another way of uh, strengthening your faith, and, and uh, you get to strengthen others as well. So those are today. Uh, it's a great opportunity to participate in. Uh, next week as well, I'm going to be gone next week to the Great Falls Youth Rally, and so Harold will be bringing the lesson. And so be good to him. Right, Ken? All you guys here on the front, be good. Yeah, well, if you can giggle, I mean that's up to you, but we'll see. But no, that'll be exciting. I'm sure Harold's got some some great stuff to be able to bring next week. All right, uh, Galatians chapter five. Uh, we spent some time last week talking about a community of the Holy Spirit and what does it look like. We uh, look through Galatians chapter five, verses thirteen through twenty-six, and I'll go ahead and read part of that again. Go ahead and look at verse thirteen. In Galatians chapter 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Okay, so we see this at work in us. Is there is that sinful nature that pulls at us, and we talked about last week, what does the kingdom of God not look like? And we went through all those things like sexual immorality, um, impurity, debauchery, just the, the factions and that way that, that we, we tend to fight as people and how that shouldn't be part of God's kingdom at all. Um, and... You know, just to, as, a, as a note carrying on from last week, I know that um, if you, there was, there's times where I've been a part of, of churches or communities of the Holy Spirit that, um, that are supposed to look like what we're going to talk about today. And because that sinful nature is still there and hasn't been put to death, you know, there's, there's no perfect church, there's no perfect spiritual family, and there's, there's our own stuff, we get in the way. You know, people, we get in the way oftentimes. But there's a time where I've seen a few times in churches where, where the fruit of the Spirit leaves the building, if we can say it that way, or leaves the community. And what is left is is backbiting and divisive and, and such like that. And I've been a part of, I've seen that happen and, and been a part of that a few times, and I hope that I never see anything like that in my life again. Because what that shows is that God's Spirit has been put on the back burner, has been, has been forced out, and our sinful nature is taking full run you know, in order to, to create havoc and, and destruction. And so, and we, we saw that from those, those that we, we looked at last week. If you look at verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy... Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's destructive. It's, it's terrible when we have those type of things coming out in our lives. So we're going to look at the other side of it today, uh, the community of the Holy Spirit. Now, many of us will know the Holy Spirit or the, the, the list of those that fruit because we know the song and we sing the song sometimes, especially you know, it's, it's referred to as a kid's song, I think. And sometimes at home we will uh, go through that song and the kids try to try to uh, 
to give the, the most bizarre fruit possible, just to spice the song up, I guess. But there is so much more. It's just like Jesus Loves Me. It's one of those songs that is simple and it's powerful in its simplicity because it is the center of, of how we are supposed to be as people. So this is what the this community of the Spirit is supposed to look like. Go ahead and look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Okay, so there's a list that is given here, too. Uh-oh, back to the catacombs. Here we go. Okay, the list is what, uh, what I just read right here. Okay, so we're going to take a few minutes to walk through some of these and what they mean. The first one, love. Now, that is a word in our society that is uh, oftentimes misunderstood. Uh, when you talk about, some, when, when I, I use the word, we're going to talk or we're going to, to read a book about a love story. What do you think of immediately? Mushy, kissy stuff, you know, all that kind of thing. That's, that's what comes to mind immediately, isn't it? But there is, we understand that there is in Scripture, and as we go uh, in our own world, we just don't use this, the, the term love as much uh, for these type of things. But the term that would have been understood here is, is a desire for the well-being of the other person no matter what. In this context, that's the, that's the desire. A love for someone that you want their betterment. Um, and sometimes that's easy. Sometimes we have those warm fuzzies and we think, yeah, I'm just excited for the, the well-being of this other person and I'm going to do whatever I can for that. And there's times where we don't have any warm fuzzies at all, do we? But we make those decisions that I'm going to do what is best for this other person anyway. You know, the, the, the classic example that, that helped me understand this a whole lot better. And I've shared this with some of you, but when Sylvia and I had children, Man, it changed things. I realized that I was a lot more selfish than I thought I was. Um, man, can any of you relate to that? When you have children, all of a sudden you realize, man, uh-oh, I'm much more selfish than I ever dreamed. And there is, um, I, I thought for a long time that my kids just slept through the night very well. And um, I, I realized that wasn't the case. In fact, I saw a meme the other day that said, I don't want to sleep like a baby. I want to sleep like a baby's father. Okay, if that gives an indicator. But um, I found, you know, I realized somewhere along the line that, that my, our kids didn't sleep near as much as I thought they did. But, but there were times where I changed a diaper at night. And I went in and I took my child who was, who was screaming and hollering out of the crib. And I, I took him over and put him on the bench and, um, and, and changed their diaper. And there was absolutely no warm fuzzies whatsoever coming from me at that point in time. None. There was, I am not liking this, I would like to be in bed. The decibel level is so high that I just can't, I don't know what to do with that right now. But I changed the diapers, just like all of us have that have changed diapers in the middle of the night. Because, why? Because we love our children. That's what it is. Because we love our children. And there's, that helps us understand maybe something about the character of God, is that I think that when Jesus came... The ministry that he gave here 
there's a whole lot of things about it that are not warm and fuzzy. Now, I'm sure he had those moments where he was just thrilled and he was so excited to see spiritual fruit being born. But there are a whole lot of other times that you see him just shaking his head thinking, oh, how long am I going to put up with this generation? And when he went to the cross, I don't believe that Jesus had any warm fuzzies there at all. But he did that because that was the right thing to do because he loved us enough to say, I'm going to do the right thing for these people and give them a chance to come to God. That's what love is about. So love is doing what is best for the other person. Now, sometimes that is in the community of faith. Most of the time, if we're practicing love for each other, those times are wonderful, those times are encouraging, those times are great. But just like... Jesus or, or changing the diaper of our children, there's times where demonstrating love to other people is difficult. You know, when someone is, is in sin and is unrepentant and walking away from God, you know, the definition of love in our world would be say what, to do what? Just don't say anything except to move on. But if we believe that a person's soul is in jeopardy, the most loving thing we can do is confront them and say, no, you can't live this way because the way you're living is going to destroy your soul and we have to deal with it. And those are some of the hardest times that I've ever dealt with personally and in, in churches. But, but that is part of what love is, is, is wanting the spiritual well-being of the other person, no matter how comfort, uncomfortable it might make us at any given time, but approaching each other and being honest and transparent with those things. Okay, love is, is the first one. Though. The next one is joy. Now, joy is, um, I wrote down a couple of definitions here from dictionaries, and I wanted to read, read this to you. From, these are from, from Greek dictionaries that translate some of the original language here. Experiences of sorrow prepare us and enlarge the capacity for our joy. Hmm, think about that. Experiences of sorrow prepare for and enlarge the capacity for joy. That's a, I spent quite a bit of time trying to wrap my mind around some of that last night. Um, joy, by definition here, is, is a contentment in spite of circumstances, no matter what else is going on. And the only way we accomplish this is by having a long view and, and by the Spirit helping us to do that. See, it's very different. There's our world, we talk a lot about happiness in society. You deserve to be happy. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought that or felt that? It's not in Scripture. Uh, God never promised us happiness, which is a, a short-term, again, warm, fuzzy feeling that I'm just excited about how everything's going right now. But what we see here is a joy is a decision that I am going to see the bigger picture, and I'm going to see that I am on my way to heaven, and all these these trials, difficulties, whatever, that I'm experiencing right now are pale in comparison for what is is coming someday. Now, there's stories and there's writings in the early church about when the, they were persecuted uh, initially, when it was some of the very, very heavy persecution that came by the hands of the Romans, that Christians, as they would um, walk into some of these places, like the Circus Maximus, and I tell you, it's eerie standing there in Rome for me in the Circus Maximus, because that's where, if you've seen Ben-Hur, where the chariot races are, that's where it is. The big chariot stadium is still there, or parts of it are. And you can go stand there in the middle of it. And there were times where the Romans would gather up the Christians and they'd just crucify them there, tons of them. Or they'd kill them in all sorts of different ways. And there's stories about how the Christians, on their way to the Circus Maximus, would sing 
and they would be encouraging each other, kind of almost like a pep rally as they're going along. And that caused the Romans to pause because nothing else looked like that for them. And the big question that came into their mind is, why are these people who are going to be executed, why are they demonstrating joy? Don't they understand the the circumstances that they're going into? Don't they understand all that? And, uh, And it changed a lot of hearts because these people understood that no matter what happens in the next 24 hours or in the next two days, on the tail end of this, I'm going to go to be with God. And that's what matters. And my future is so much better than the past. And so we can, but that starts, I believe, not just when we face persecution, but day in, day out. When we have things that are frustrating for us, when we have things that are, that are hurtful, when we have things that we would just rather not deal with, we say, I am going to demonstrate joy in this somehow because I know that God is working here among this. And I may learn something, I may have to wrestle through something, but there is, God's going God's to work on the back end of this. And I'm, I'm excited for that. And, and I demonstrate joy in that. That's why people who, you know, the analogy I've used before, the example, people that have all sorts of, of health issues can be the most encouraging people in the room because they realize that independent of these circumstances, right now I've got something much, much greater spiritually. So that's what joy is. I know that uh, along the same lines, one of um, the elder that I worked with once, he, he made the comment that I, I really appreciate, and I've thought about it a lot is the most spiritually mature people are also the most thankful people. And, and that's, that, that's part of joy, is, is just being thankful uh, in, in our circumstances, no matter what happens. Uh, we see something, something positive and some kind of blessing out of it. Uh, patience is the next one. The, I, the term here is long-suffering. Now, that, that brings up some things in my head. Long-suffering, being able to suffer through an unpleasant circumstance without responding in anger or, or, or trying to, to hurt someone else in the process. But demonstrating patience is, is the idea, demonstrating a, the ability to, to wait for God to work instead of us taking things into our own hands. Okay, uh, Patience, kindness is the next one. Uh, kindness, uh, the definition that I, I, I came up with in in one of these Greek dictionaries, was upright in relationships and approachable. Someone who is demonstrates kindness is someone who is upright in relationships and, and approachable. Um, there is a, I remember that the most stark example of this that, that I've, I've ever seen, um, I had a bus driver when I was a, a kid that would pick us up and he'd drive us. And he is quite possibly the most grouchy person I've ever met in my life. You know, I, I, I mean, it was just, it didn't matter. It was on and grouchiness and, and it, it, was, it was kind of a tough circumstance. And I have no idea to this day what happened. But I remember there was something happened. And a day later, this person came and drove the bus and was smiling and making jokes. And I don't know if someone told him that, you're grouchy, you need to change or something. Or if he had some kind of life experience that changed him around. But all of a sudden... He completely changed. And I remember there was uh, some of the guys on the bus saying, I'm not sure exactly how to take that. I think I would laugh normally at someone making a joke like that, but I'm, you know, this guy's never done anything like that, and so I don't know what to think about it. And the years that followed, I saw that side of him come out more and more. And, and there's, there's a side of us that we can, you know, 
We can be cranky, we can be snappy, we can be all of that. But what God asks of us is to be, to be right and just in our relationships, demonstrate kindness. Goodness is the next one. Let me share this definition here. Doing good no matter what. Um, deciding that um, instead of doing evil, I'm going to pursue good in, in any and every circumstance. Faithfulness. Uh, the ability or the, the quality of being a person that is able to be relied on, uh, that, that keeps their word, that is, that is reliable day in, day out in order to do the good things. That's the idea of faithfulness. Gentleness. Uh, this is um, the term meek. Have you heard the term meek appears in Scripture uh, quite a bit. And um, the idea is, oftentimes when we talk about someone who is meek in our world, we don't think of someone, we think of meekness and strength being ex- mutually exclusive. If you're meek, then you're not strong, because strong people stand up and they punch, you know, they're, you know all that kind of stuff. But think about it in these terms. These... Um, um, historically, there's during this time period, there's a lot of armies fought on horses. These horses are big, strong, huge animals. And if a horse is going to do what it wants to do, is there anything that a person can really do to stop it when they're on their back? They can? Well, I'll tell you, I couldn't. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, you could shoot the horse, I guess. That's, yeah, that's one thing. That, that wasn't exactly what I was thinking, Carrie. But, yeah, I guess you could do that for sure. But, you, but I know that for myself, there's a few times where I've been on horses, and I am very much an amateur horse handler. I've ridden through the wilderness and, and a few different times, but I remember going to a friend of mine's house once um, when we were growing up, and we would go ride the horses around. And this horse, for whatever reason, decided he always he would just decide, I'm going to go back to the barn, and here I go. And he would turn around and go back to the barn, and so all I knew to do was to hold on and just just keep my head low when he went into the barn. That's what I needed to do. And then he would calm down, we'd go out and ride around, and then all of a sudden, here it would go again. And there was not a thing I could do to stop that horse. But there's a lot of horses that are powerful, that are well-trained, that are strength under control. And that's what you see with Jesus. He demonstrates a gentleness when he goes to the cross. He doesn't respond in, in anger to the people that are there that are driving the nails through his hands and his feet. But he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he doesn't call the legion of angels that, that he could. He doesn't, uh, doesn't just come down off that cross. But he has this strength that he maintains and keeps under control. Boy, that's a, that's a great quality for us to, to, to cultivate as people. Um, and I think about um, something that you see about Jesus, the creator of the world, had a quality about him that he, would, he sat down and the children would come to him. And that's something I, I look for. I believe that's a tremendous, important quality for, for all of us to cultivate. Now, some have this naturally, and they're really good at it, and they demonstrate it. Um, some of us have to work at it um, a lot more. But, but kids have a, they probably have a good sense of how approachable we may be. Um, and so that's something that all of us can, can work, work on. Is just what does it mean to, to demonstrate gentleness in our life? Also, self-control, the ability to put aside my wants and desires and do what's right. You look at all of those qualities there. There's some tremendous qualities. And totally opposite 
to the sinful nature qualities that we looked at last week. But just look at this and think, what does God's kingdom look like if all of us pursue these qualities relentlessly and with devotion day in, day out? We pursue a desire to, and to interact with each other in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then what happens is we get just a taste of what eternity is going to be like when we deal with each other honestly like this. And, and God's kingdom, you know, people see it, and God's kingdom grows as people, uh, people say, That's, I don't see that anywhere else. I don't have that anywhere else. I want, a, I want a part of that. I want a piece of that. So the community of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? We saw these verses here. And we see these things we'll share with here. But let's look, read verses 22 through 26 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. All right, so here it is. Uh, What does this kingdom supposed to look like? Well, it starts with, there's a, back in verse 13, the discussion of freedom. This is a freedom that God has given us when we are able to, to be led by the Spirit. We experience freedom. And it starts with freedom from sinful control in that uh, it's really hard to, as we'll talk about here in a second, pursue God when we are burdened down with sin. Okay? And we have a freedom to, to leave that control of sin behind. Uh, a great example of how to accomplish this is... In, in Matthew chapter 4, and uh, we, Harold and another young man and I sat down this last week and working on outlining sermons and lessons, and we, we talked about uh, Matthew chapter 4, which is Jesus in the, in the, going out in, to be tempted by, by Satan. Uh, he's fasted for 40 days, and it starts off with the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. And I, I pondered that, and I was thinking about that as, and there's part of me that thinks initially, wait a minute, what is Satan? Do, what, what is the Spirit doing leading Jesus in a temptation? You know, that doesn't make sense to me. What is that all about? And as I thought and I pondered it more, I believe what we see happening there is the Spirit is leading Jesus to battle. That's what's happening. Battle is happening, and, and the Spirit is leading right ahead as Jesus walks into these temptations when he's worn down because of fasting and he knows it's going to happen. The Spirit's there by his side. The Spirit is there walking with him. And as you look through, Satan comes three different times. He says, why don't you turn stones to bread? Why don't you jump off the temple? Why don't you just bow down and worship me? Let's just get all this out in the open right now. Just, let's just deal with it. Come on, just do this stuff. And Jesus responds with Scripture every time. And ultimately, what Satan does at the end, if you look at the end of that story, Satan leaves. And that's a great model for us in, in how, to, how to control sin. Now, sin gets a hold of us when we do not say, no, I will not go down that road. When we say, well, maybe I'll do a little bit. And what happens is Satan builds on that, and then he builds more the next time, and and sooner or later we find ourselves mired in this sin that we just can't seem to control. And that's where the sinful nature, we've let that sinful nature work to take control. And so for us as Christians, we have the freedom to say, no, I will not be controlled by the sinful nature anymore. Because I know that God's Spirit lives in me, and I choose to go the other direction, and I choose to leave all of it behind. And that's why, you know, 
That's why we can leave addictions behind. That's why we can leave bad habits behind. That's why we can leave all that stuff behind because God's Spirit working in us changes us and transforms us to be able to do that. And boy, that, that, that is... If you've ever been, if you've lived long enough, I should say, to have a time where you feel like you're really mired in sin, like I just cannot get out of this, and see God's work being able to pull us out of, his, pull us out of that and change us and change who we are, there is no better freedom than that. Freedom from sin is, is having this, the, the spiritual shackles and slavery being taken away from us. And that's what the community of the Spirit is supposed to be, all of us working together to have those shackles leave, have those shackles fall off so that we can look more like God every day. The community of the Spirit also demonstrates or, or shows freedom in that we're free to pursue God. Again, it's really hard for any of us when we're mired down in sin to really pursue God because we are consumed by guilt, we're consumed by, by you know, regret, all of that kind of stuff, and it's tough to pursue God when we're shackled down by that. But when we know that because of Christ's blood, he's forgiven us, and we're able to walk past that and say, I know that I've got some, some residual sin that, that keeps coming back from time to time, but I, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to keep putting it away. But I know that God's grace covers me, and I'm going to continue walking in the light because I know God continues to cover, cover my, my shortcomings. In that, what happens is we have the freedom to pursue God and w- without being chained down with, with sin that, that keeps us from doing that. And, and lastly there, we have the freedom to serve one another. Now, that, at first glance, it might seem, well, i got the freedom to serve one another. Ah, how, now, why is that freedom? Why, does, why is that something that's, that's great? Think about this. I found a couple of illustrations that really articulate this, and they were helpful for me to look at. There's a Spanish philosopher tells about a Roman aqueduct in Segovia in his native Spain. Now, the aqueducts are, were built by uh, Romans, um, when, and they brought water down from the mountains in the Roman colonies and brought water down to the towns. And it's amazing. Some of them still function and, and are still being used. This particular one was built in 109 A.D., and for 1,800 years it carried cool water from the mountains to the hot and thirsty city. Nearly 60 generations of men drank from its flow. Now think about that. It's amazing, the architecture. If you've never seen pictures of them, go home and look at the Roman aqueducts because they'll cover miles. And the engineering that was involved to have water just gently come down from the mountains, it's, it's unreal what they were able to accomplish at that time. Then came another generation, a recent one, who said, This aqueduct is so great a marvel that it ought to be preserved for our children. As a museum piece, we shall relieve it of its centuries-long labor. They did. They laid modern iron pipes. They gave the ancient bricks and mortar a reverent rest. And the aqueduct began to fall apart. The sun beating down on dry mortar caused it to crumble. The bricks and stones sagged and threatened to fall. What ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated in a few short years. Boy, that's, that's something to think about, isn't it? If God has created us to be people who serve and find freedom and find ourselves in serving others, then if we don't do that, we can expect that we will atrophy and we will disintegrate you know, as people. We won't find happiness. We won't, we won't find joy. We won't find contentment um, unless we're finding ways to serve others. Think about this other one. This is a great example here. 
During the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier. Their leader was shouting instructions but making no attempt to help them. Asked by the rider, he retorted with great dignity, Sir, I am a corporal. I do not help with those things. The stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. After the job was done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. And it was none other than George Washington. There's a message there, isn't there? Is that if that story is true, that George Washington realized something, is that serving other people is a way to accomplish a whole lot, and nobody is above getting down on their hands and knees and helping for the cause of, in this case, the Revolutionary War. For us, let's not ever think that we're go- we come to a point where, where we're, we're too great, good or, or not talented enough or whatever to serve others, because in doing that, we get in step with the Spirit, as it says here in Galatians 5, and we become what God wants us to be, and we start looking more and more like Him all the time. So here we are, following the Spirit brings out good fruit. Oh, man, and it's beautiful when Christians live together, and I see it day in, day out from you in the year that I've been here. I see good fruit in so many different ways. I see relationships being repaired. I see people taking care of others that are in hard times and and praying together. And and all that, that demonstrates that good fruit. And it enriches relationships, and it empowers the unity of the Spirit. And boy, that is, that is the powerful thing. I talked about here a few weeks ago how I believe the most miraculous thing that God has done is not parting the Red Sea or, or Jesus healing leprosy and all that. That's amazing. But to take someone who is a free will person, who is created in God's image and has chosen to allow the sinful nature come into their life and to redeem that person, fill them with their spirit, and turn them into something totally different, that is full on more miraculous than anything else God's done that I'm aware of. And think about this. Maybe we can add one more thing to that. When he takes a whole bunch of fallen people that all have our own free will, all have our own desires, all have our own way of doing things, and he puts his spirit in all of us when we come into to contact with the blood of Christ and we become part of his, his covenant people. And we all, instead of seeing the differences in age and, and gender and generation and and socio-background or economic background, all that. And instead of dividing and going all these different directions, we come together and we show the world that we can be different. That all these differences the world sees, we, we don't see those because we see something different. We see the Spirit of Christ in others, and it brings us together. Man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful when we live that out. And that's God's plan for us, to be a community of the Spirit where we can come together and we can put aside differences, and we can worship like we are here this morning. We can um, worship the rest of the week, wherever we are. And we show something to the world that is totally different than what they see anywhere else. Boy, that for me um, provides a lot of conviction for me about what I need to do every day and how I need to wake up every day. Um, Because I never want to be the person that that creates... um, animosity between brothers or creates problems, but, you know, that, that type of thing. Hopefully none of us ever want to be that way. But we break up every day saying, God, I know that you've given me your spirit as I 
come in contact with the blood of Christ. And I choose to be different today than the rest of the world. And please help lead me by your spirit and help me to be filled with your spirit and, and therefore produce the fruit every day. Boy, we do that every day. God continues to provide mission, continues to provide all sorts of ways that he's going to use us to impact the world. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're like prayers of the church, you're welcome to come forward. We'll stand and sing. And there's people in the back that are there ready to pray for you if you'd like to um, prayers today as well for anything. Let's sing.